Good morning, traders and investors. Are you guys ready for another pre-market prep? Of course, where we get you ready for everything you need to know for the trading markets. Let's take a look. Today, we'll take a look at WTI. We'll see what's going on in oil. Apple taking a hit from China. We'll get into that. We got some earnings reports to run through. Dave & Buster's, ChargePoint, C3AI, American Eagle, GameStop. We'll talk a little bit about that. And do you guys know about the movie called Dumb Money? Tell me about that in the chat if you guys already know about it. Unipath on the earnings. We'll take a look at potential uh, Westrock combination with an interesting company. We'll talk all about that. We'll take a look at some ratings out there. We got Dell, Roku. Uh, also got Crocs in those ratings. Don't miss it. And did you guys get your Dutch bros? I know there's somebody's out there looking at that offering. Let's take a look what's going on underneath the hood. It's pre-market prep. It's time to rise and shine, team. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's pre-market prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny with everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders. Let's get into it. Let's take a look at the market. The SPY is coming down here. We lost a little bit of altitude yesterday. Definitely lost some altitude. We'll talk a little bit about that. And this looks like a little bit of a head and shoulders just on the hourly, but hey, maybe that should have been something we were looking at. We'll talk about it with Dennis. Let's take a look at the Qs. Qs kind of similar action. Of course, yesterday, tech taking the major pullback, but it wasn't just tech. Looked like it was ugly breath all around. Take a look at the TLT, and you guys can see that now down to 93.86. Will we make our way down, back down towards the lows? That's the concern in the markets right now. You take a look at USO, oil continuing higher. Look at this daily trend. It's been a nice little push there in oil. We'll see if that can continue. Gold still on the pullback. Silver not doing much, just pulling back. And pretty fast there. So I'd leave silver alone there. We'll see what happens on that trade. But let's get into all the tech talk. What happened yesterday? Wicked rotation. We're going to bring on Dennis Dick in just a second. He's getting ready, team. He's there. The one, the only. What's up, Triple D? Not too much. Just looking at the same story as pretty much yesterday. Tech wreck. So, wow. I mean, Apple is the talk. Down another five bucks yeah. here. So it goes from bliss right when Kramer tweets right at the top that you're never going to get a dip in Apple again. Well, it just fell 12 straight dollars. So again, listening to pre-market prep will help you. Don't chase. You don't need to chase in this environment. We started this yeah. week's show with that not chasing attitude. Said it again yesterday. What happens? The rug pull. Boom. Boom. And Apple's down 12 bucks just like that. This environment is not the same as what we were in when we started the year. When we started the year, all the tech was massively oversold. It needed a relief pop, and that's what we got. We had a huge, you know, and then it uh, and then it obviously continued. And then, you know, and obviously, you know, we had the AI, you know, boom and everything, and 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 was a really good first half. 
it's just not going to be that easy sledding. You know, you just don't get 28% gains in the queues and then tack on another 28% in the back half. It typically does not happen. That's why I'm still sitting cautious. Cautious is winning right now. Cautious continues to pay the bills. All right. We got someone uh, joining in from Croatia. Nice. Like, I mean, hey, man, we, we, we're all over the world pre-market prep. That's for sure. We had a couple um, of traders at Bright Trading back in the day from Croatia. Nice country. I've definitely never been seen. There, definitely uh, seen the cues pull back yesterday. Definitely put some worry, but it wasn't just the cues, right? And I could see it all around. It was just seemed to be weakness, and even that call on oil that you were looking at, Dennis. Maybe oil starts to pull back a little bit. Yesterday we did start to get a little bit of a pullback, but if we look at WTI, of course, it was ranging. It had gotten all the way up to eighty-eight. Point eight on WTI, which is the highest price since November 15, 2022. So we're coming back to those high prices when we had high inflation. And now we're starting to tick down. We're back towards 87. I see a range of 87.74 and 86.78 on the day. I've been talking about that. If that comes back down below 85, that's when really you'll start to see these kind of oil stocks, I think, start pulling back. Now, of course, we're also looking to see if it goes into the 90 area because that could continue the oil trade here. Um, what do you think about the oil trade overall, Dennis? Um, I don't care about the oil trade, really. It's all about tech here. So let's bring it back to tech and talk Apple for a few minutes here because this is the driver. This is the whole reason the market is down here today. It is 7.5% of the S&P. And when Apple starts to go down, the market follows suit. What is the news, Money Mitch? We know we had some iPhones concerns from China yesterday. It looks like there's more concerns here again today. Do you have that line? Yeah, let's talk about it. Apple took a hit. China's decision to ban iPhone from government offices, as Bloomberg reported that on Thursday, said that China's plan to expand a ban on the use of iPhones in sensitive departments to government-backed agencies and state companies um, also, uh, Oppenheimer analysts stated that Apple could lose 10 million iPhone in 2024 due to the new uh, Huey phone. Um, and so you guys are seeing it. A quick little turnaround here when everyone was kind of looking to see if Apple would get an iPhone jump into, of course, the release next week. What happened here and what continues to happen is what we've been saying is Apple is priced for perfection. The rant I had yesterday, 30 times earnings. It has no business being at 30 times earnings. I know they say, oh, well, it's a consumer staple, so you got to price the consumer staples. Well, the consumer staples are coming in because rates are higher. They used to trade 26, 27 times earnings. They're not trading up there anymore because rates have come down. So now you start thinking about 22, 23. So if they price like a consumer staple, which maybe it should be priced, it should be 23 times earnings, 24 times earnings. It has no reason other than the ETF effects that are driving this up to make it 30 times earnings. So obviously, you know, it's a huge portion, the biggest portion of the S&P. But I just keep thinking like you're investing in Apple at this point in time. I think you're doing it backwards. I had Apple in my long-term portfolio for the better part of a decade, bought it when it was 12 times earnings because everybody says it should be valued as a consumer staple. That was Kramer's argument. It was correct. It was absolutely correct. It should because everybody was buying iPhones. They weren't going away. And, and, and you know, obviously that's what their main product with 51% of their revenue. So that multiple expanded. 
it continued to expand over the course of 2013, 2014, 2015. But revenues were growing, so the multiple is expanding very slowly. But what's happened now is revenues have stopped growing. We're not growing nearly at the rate that we were growing at before. So it's a cash cow now. You know, you think of your BCG matrix back to university, you know, where you got your stars and your cash cows and your dogs. It's moved from a star to a cash cow. I think the valuation at 30 times is insane. I think it's crazy to own Apple at 30 times. I said it yesterday it was 188. It's 178. I've been wrong. I sold my Apple right around this price, around $180. It was over a year ago. So I actually, you know, I picked up 6% on it because of the cash portion. So I've been picking up 4 or 5%. So it's been the right play overall, even if it's the same spot. But because you know, Apple's gone nowhere, basically, in the last year, if you look at where it is now. But I think Apple, fair value, is 23 to 24 times earnings. So until they can show me a new product, I mean, let's bring it right to this. And this is going to be an Apple show here today. Bring it to this, Mitch. What have they come up with? What is their new products in the last decade? You're right. iPhone, iPad. What the hell else have they come up with? They keep making the camera. Apple TV, better. maybe? Apple TV is junk. That's been. No, I don't know. I don't think it's junk, to tell you the truth. I, I really got to say, I don't think that one's junk, Dennis, but Who's it hasn't got an brought Apple them TV revenue. in the chat. Who's yeah, let's that? let's find out. That's an Who's easy way. I, I had it. one. I'll tell you something. I had an Apple TV 10 years ago. I don't have it anymore. You got Roku, you got everything else displaced it. I don't think I need it. So I, AirPods, I like it. you know, I, yeah, they cut the cord, so they're cordless. I mean, AirPods. there hasn't been a hell of a okay. lot of innovation since Steve Jobs left. Let's be honest here. There hasn't been a lot of innovation in Apple since Steve Jobs left. The whole move is multiple expansion. At a certain point in time, you got to show me a new product. You got to show me what you've been cooking with all this R&D. Show me something cool. We've talked about an Apple car for the better part of seven years on this show. A, a car is coming. You know, Gene Munster, you know, it's never come. So I just think we got to look at what we're paying. If you're showing me a company that's growing revenue at an exponential rate, I don't mind paying 30 or even 40, or in the case of NVIDIA, 47 times earnings. But I'm not paying 30 times earnings for a company that is not growing. At a certain point in time, I think that multiple contracts. At a certain point in time, I think it could be 23, 24 times. And that would bring the stock price back to about 140, which is where I feel it should be. There's a lot of things that, of course, they're dipping their toes in, but that's what I think uh, a lot of people are just kind of praying for, right? It's the Apple car. Um, well, the goggles, right? I mean, is that going to be a growth driver, Dennis? All right, man. And obviously, Meta's the got Vision their goggles. Pro? All of this stuff, I mean, Apple Watch, I've got an Apple Watch, but this is not reinventing the wheel. They took their iPhone and they put it on a watch. Show me something cool and new. The iPhone was incredible. When it came out in 2008, I believe it was, you know, it was first the iPods, you know, the, the i there was iPod it was called that they had yeah. the one and then, he, yeah, the and then they obviously made it on the phone. I'm like, that was, that was groundbreaking innovation. It, it took BlackBerry out. Actually, it's BlackBerry that probably came up with that, you know, really, when we think about it. And then Apple came and just made it awesome. So I just don't think they've had a hell of a lot of innovation since Steve Jobs gone. Now, does that mean that Apple's going to crash and burn? No, because here's the other, and you were making a good point on this on the pre-pre-market show, Mitch, when we were just talking mm -hmm. about what we're going to talk about, is the ETF effects. This is yeah, a huge portion of the S&P. It's a huge reason why, you know, the Qs, it's, it's just enormous. It's a huge reason why it gets held up because the ETF players will buy the stock when it dips for the simple reason of the arbitrage effects. So that helps to hold the stock up. 
But yeah. overall, in the long run, I still believe fundamentals drive price. I don't pay 30 times earnings. Come back down to 20 times earnings. Yeah, I'm in. So you drop by a third, 180 down to 120-ish. I'm in. But at 180, and now obviously it came down to 130. Maybe obviously I should have rebought the end of November and got down to 124. But you know, maybe that's you know where it's a reasonable valuation. At 30 times, it's just not a reasonable valuation, not for a company that's growing as slowly as Apple. Of course, uh, that's the question. I think everyone kind of knows it. It's probably the most held stock in the stock market, right? In portfolios. I think that makes a major effect on Apple, right? Um, just kind of question, because I did get the question in the chat. I didn't address it earlier. I am all out of Apple, got out at the break even. Uh, so yesterday, uh, that was 186. I did take half profits into 189, um, but that's all I did. And I was looking for the move up, and that's how you do it. You get out, especially on a trade like this, because when it turns back on you, especially when you're buying, like chasing a little bit, because I was chasing up to the 186. I can already say that. You got to get out. And and now it's turned. And overall, did you see NVIDIA's move also? I mean, that wasn't, I don't think, anything for the faint of heart either, Dennis. What do you think about just overall also NVIDIA Again, I'd rather own around? NVIDIA over Apple. I said it yesterday. I don't want to own either of these. I'm not paying 47 times. It's just not my style. Yeah. Um, from an investing standpoint, I've always been more of a value type of investor. I don't mind trading stuff. I trade Apple, trade NVIDIA. That's all cool. I just think, you know, the valuation is, you know, and now if you, if you look at the technicals, very concerning that NVIDIA didn't make a new high. You failed up at 500. You didn't want to fail up at 500. So now you have a, you have a retest of 450. We're in a range right now. Does the 450 hold? We got a double bottom. You can clearly see the support on NVIDIA at 450. So that's the level, down 10 bucks. I think you buy at 460. I think you're 10 bucks early. I think you take a shot at 450. Maybe it bounces off of it again, but that's your clear line. This is very technically trading 450 to 500 so you're in a channel here you're in a new channel for nvidia does the 450 hold comes down the first time i think it holds again maybe bounces once so i might take a shot as a trade from 450 but nvidia again is not going in the long-term portfolio not not right now let's get to earnings let's go to play here dave and busters q2 earnings adjusted eps at 94 cents beats the 93 cent estimate sales of 542.1 Missed the 559.0 million estimate. Dave and Buster is increasing the remaining share repurchase program and authorization to 200 million. Raymond James coming in and downgrading Dave and Buster's to outperform and lowering the price target to 55. Oh man, play. I don't know. This is again just a victim of everybody's like these restaurants aren't doing that great here now. Victim of a little bit of the slowdown. Victim of people going into these restaurants. And I know they say they've beaten inflation, but it seems like I go out to eat and I'm like, when in the hell does it cost me a hundred bucks to go out for dinner with my wife? Like, you know, out of semi, you know, like not even a fancy restaurant. Everything just seems like nuts. And I think it's catching up. And I think the consumer is getting a little more strapped. And that means they're going to do a little bit less. So, I mean, and, you know, we've been arguing that on this show that they're still finding money to travel and do things while the airlines are starting to come down. So maybe that's not the case here now. Maybe the consumer <laughs> actually is getting strapped here. Maybe yeah, interest rates uh... are starting to work. Some people are saying, you know, there is a lag. And I think that could be correct. So I don't know. It's, it's this, this is filling a gap. Take it technically here. Go back to June, 3181, the high. 
up to 37.47. So you're in a gap area here. I don't think you're touching it until at least 33.75. Sorry, was the top of that candle. I don't think you're touching it until at least fills that gap down to 33.75. So no thanks for play. Yeah, I think this is the story that uh, we're going to hear a lot of going into October, November, and December, right? Will it be the destruction of the consumer? And I think that that's things we need to be looking out. Now, one area that you just mentioned, airlines, I, I do have a position in American. I think you still have American too, right? Yeah, I do. I wish I All did. Right, so we're both in it. We're position. both in it, it's Dennis. There's very disaster. rare times that Dennis and I are in the same position. Um, I'm well, looking at it, it all more as a swing on trade. Frame too. So it's yeah, yeah. funny. Yeah, that's what like I was going to mention. My I'm time on swing frame trade here. Uh, just one sec, Mitch. Sorry. Yeah. Which is about time frames. I have two time frames, really, because I'm not really a swing trader type. You're, you're actually, it's mm-hmm. funny, you're in a time frame that I don't really trade as much. A day trade, an intraday trade, which is 24-hour time frame for me, 24-hour max, because I've told everyone this. I go to cash typically at 10 or 10.30 every single day. My, my day trading portfolio has, has rules, and this is how I've traded it for the last 15 years, 10 years. I go 100% cash every single day, winners or losers. Uh, on my day trading portfolio at 10.30 a.m. because then I take a couple hours in the middle of the day. I don't trade typically from 10.30 to like 1, 2 o'clock because it's just chop hour. And, you know, I'm all about like inefficiencies. I like overnight trading. I've kind of went from intraday trading to being an overnight trader, trying to find edges, you know, overnight, trying to find, you know, those two-day moves. I've talked about all types of different types of my strategies. You listen to the show for more than six months, you kind of know how I trade. But so I have that time frame, and I have my long-term account where sometimes if I, you know, I, I, I'll enter something long-term and I have second thoughts, I take it back out. But, you know, longer term is months, you know, typically to years. So I've got American Airlines. I took a half-size starter position in the long-term account back up at, I think it was $16, and it's been a disaster. So it's down here at $14.30. You, on the contrary, are like on the one time frame that I don't trade, which is why maybe, you know, we work well together here is you're in that couple days, couple weeks time frames. And I will swing trade from time to time, but I haven't really been doing a hell of a lot of it lately. So, I mean, you know, your American Airlines is a lot different than my American Airlines, even though it's mm-hmm. the same stock, because I'm looking at evaluation, reasonable. I don't have much exposure. I'm 60% cash. Like, I need to add a couple stocks. I'm like, here's a company that's making money. It's high. It's highly cyclical. So that could come down, which is probably why the stock price is coming down, because people are starting to run out of cash to go on trips. Uh, but I mean, from a technical basis, you can trade anything from a swing trading perspective. So your American airlines with my point being as much different than my American airlines, tell me why you're in this for a swing trade. Well, my thing is first, it was just, uh, levels. It's just technicals first. Like that's just going to be it. Um, a lot of the times that's why I'm looking at charts just to kind of watch them and the weekly trend line here coming from, uh, the, the high here of 21, Kind of gives me that throwback look where you get a nice breakout above a trend line, a major trend line, and then you want to see it come back and hold that trend line. So I've been looking for a reversal back through 15, slowly trying to size into the position. Um, I've, I've taken two of my buys. I usually go into three entries. Um, so right now I'm averaged at like 1494. So I'm looking for the move back up through 15. Um, I'd be looking today to see if it holds 14, really don't want to get it back towards like, let's say 1350s. That would be like the area where it's like too much pain to get out of this trade. But also I take a look at, you know, um, what could happen here, right? Oil's gone up, right? And, And that's what I think has drawn this pullback, right? If oil can start coming down, 
at any point in time because we know how it kind of fluctuates. It goes up and then down. That's what I'm going to be looking for to start downtrending on maybe some oil. And then yeah. all of a sudden, American takes back off. Um, so that's what I'm looking for. And if I look at some statistical data, and I can give you guys this right here in the chat, uh, this is the June kind of 23 airlines. This is from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. And it just shows, I mean, airlines are, are at least the consumption that they're using shows that, hey, that consumption is really high. And that's why the cost affects the, the companies. And I can show you guys that right here. Um, like right here is the cost of airline and fuel. And here's the consumption really high. Right. And so that's going to affect the airlines. But also, as soon as that starts to turn, I've been seeing them make the money. And yes, we have love with con uh, concern, but I like the three American Airlines, UAL, DAL. I traded these before and I rode the wave. I sold it too early. So I'm looking to get back in on pullbacks. In normalized markets, airlines have always been inversely correlated with the price of oil. And that's what we're coming back into. When the VIX starts coming back in the 13s, 14s, when the VIX is up at 30, everything's just moving together. A stock is a stock is a stock. But when the VIX starts coming back down, that's when you start seeing those pure relationships start to work again. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Oil prices increase is bad for airlines. Being long oil is like being short airlines. So, I mean, that's just been the trade that's worked for 23 years of my trading career. I've always, you know, I used to always be oil's up, I'm short in airlines today. I used to day trade it like this. Oil's down, I'm buying airlines today. And in this market that we've seen the last couple of years, we've just had an elevated VIX and those relationships just haven't been working. But what we've seen late, lately as volatility has come down, those old relationships, you know, that's why I always say a trading strategy that works today doesn't work tomorrow, but it might start working again next week. So when you, you know, when you figure out, you know, these little edges, and these trading strategies, just because it's not working today doesn't mean it's not going to start working again a month or two from now. So I think Mitch has given a very good point, which we haven't talked about on the show for a number of years because that hasn't been working, is that airlines are inversely correlated with fuel prices and oil goes up. It's just common sense that airlines should go down. Again, when the VIX is at 25 or 30, none of that works because the stock is a stock and everything's just moving together. As the VIX elevates, stocks all start to move together. That's what you, know, you need to understand too. When you get up to 50, 60 on those crazy VIX, stock is a stock. Like, you know, I tweeted out this image and maybe you could go show that image. It's just a fun yeah. conversation from yesterday, Mitch. Um, it was from Evan at Stock Market News. Um, he tweeted out just a throwback from the March 16th, 2020 day. This was a day. Show this picture here just for fun. So this That's was the peak of the COVID sell-off there. March 16th, 2020. Bring it up there on my Twitter feed. And this was just incredible. Blow that image up. So I this was right not now. monthly returns or yearly returns. This was the returns that day. This was what happened. So if you just started trading stocks in the last couple of years, this happened in one day, folks. Google, down 10.27%. Microsoft, down 11.84%. Apple, down 12.46%. Berkshire Hathaway, down 10.92%. What do all those stocks have in common? Nothing. All these like other ones like Johnson & Johnson, down 7%. And look at the other ones like UNH, down 10.9%. It has nothing to do with Apple. But the VIX was so elevated that stocks were just all moving together. We were worried that COVID was going to end the world. And that was the very bottom. That was basically the bottom when all these stocks collapsed. JP Morgan down 18%. That day, 
that these day. were monthly returns. Yeah. That was in one day, folks. That was incredible. Incredible trading action. Crazy moves. But what you have to understand is when the VIX is elevated to that extreme, and I think it was like the 60 or something that day, Yeah, everything just moves together. And that was an incredible sell-off, and it's something to think about. So there's lots of different ways to trade. You've got to be you know, understanding trading for your environment. Today, airlines and, and, and oil are now, once again, inversely correlated. Let's go to the disaster stock of the day. I'm going to call it ChargePoint. Um, is anybody charging at this? Let's take a look. ChargePoint Holdings Q2 EPS at a loss of 24 cents misses the loss of 15 cent estimate. Sales of 150.49 million missed 153.24 million estimate. They expect Q3 revenues of 150 million to 165 million on the high end. The estimate though that was given was 181.63 million. So even on the high end, they're off like about 16 million um, on the high end guidance for Q3. So not looking good here for ChargePoint. Full year revenue outlooks 605 to 630 million. Estimate was at 674.94. So this is another big miss. Even on the top end would be about 44 million off, close to 45 million. That's pretty big here for ChargePoint. And it just goes to show me, we're all looking for this EV wave. I think this doesn't happen to like 25. We've been ahead of the game looking for this to take off, looking to see the infrastructure move in the markets. And I look around, I don't see any building, a massive building of charging stations. I think this is definitely something that's going to get pushed back. All right. None of that matters. Plasma has it. Ding, 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 ding. These stocks were doomed as soon as Tesla started working with Ford and GM and talking about the charging stations and putting in charging stations for them. The day that that news came out, that Tesla was going to start working with Ford and GM and the big three and start working you know, with other companies and obviously incorporating their chargers into their charging stations, it was doomsday for Blank, for ChargePoint, for all those other companies here. Tesla will eat their lunch and spit them out. I think ChargePoint, Blink, and all of them eventually go bankrupt. This is just my opinion. I don't know anything for certainty. I think eventually they all go bankrupt because I think Tesla, I don't think you can compete with them here. Well, you guys, I, I don't I'm, even know. I'm, I'm very opinionated that. today. <laughs> I may be wrong. I don't have a crystal ball, but I can kind of put two and two together. It's going to be hard to compete with Elon Musk and charging. So Plasma, completely agree. AI, how do you feel about AI? Uh, let's go to C3 AI. Q1 EPS, loss of $0.09, cents, beats the loss of $0.17 cent estimate. Sales of $72.4 million beat the $71.59 million estimate. C3 sees Q2 total revenue to $72 to $76.5 versus a $73.81 million estimate and sees their full year revenue at $295 million to $320 versus a $308.2 million estimate. They did try everything, I think, here on the release. They released a new product here, C3, uh, releasing new C3 generative AI suite, first domain-specific generative AI solutions for industry, businesses, process, and enterprise systems. Yet, this chart, and I've been, I've been waving it goodbye because I feel like it's going to come all the way it's down. This was the hype stock. This has got the ticker symbol. This is like the peak of the AI bubble. This bubble for AI, the stock has burst. NVIDIA will be back. 
This stock, I don't think will be back. I think eventually the stock is a hell of a lot lower. I think when we look at it two years from now, I think it's back to $10 from where it came from. So unless they can figure it out, um, and maybe they can, you know, maybe it'll change your mind. As traders, you are always entitled to change your mind, but this is not I'm putting one I'm putting in the long-term account. I'll say that. Yeah, AI is just one of those things. I, what caught me is I saw the investor presentation. If you guys don't like, know about a stock one of the best ways to take a look at it is look into those days right because they're going to talk about everything they have possible moving forward and what i saw in that investor presentation and i've mentioned it before on ai uh is i didn't see anything competitive advantage i always look for something that other companies don't have this company just has what everyone else is looking at i think in generative ai so i think that eventually this just gets hit right back down American Eagle Outfitters, what's going on there, guys? Uh, this did a, like a pop and a drop. Like, I, I don't understand what happened on the release. You tell me, Dennis, if you watched it. American Eagle's Q2 EPS, 25 cents beat the 16 cent estimate. Sales of 1.2 billion beat the 1.2 billion estimate. Eagle Outfitters raised their full year 24 operating income guidance from 250 million to 270 million. Uh, now raised it up to 325 million to 350 million. Q3 management outlook reflects revenue up low single digits with operating income in the range of 115 to 125 million. So it's still being able to get the lift. Quarter was fine. Uh, wasn't fantastic. Was fine. Stock is fine. That's about it here. There's not a lot of movement. It went down initially, then it popped last night. I don't know why it was popping last night, but it did. It got up to like 1760 or 1770. Now just kind of hanging out. So the algos don't know what to do with it, so they ain't touching it. They're too busy trading Apple. All right. Let's see what comes in here for jobs number. Initial jobless came at 216,000 versus 234,000 estimates. So initial jobless claims coming down, even though we just saw unemployment spike up, right? I see these these jobless claims and these numbers. I I, I honestly don't understand them. I, I've gotten to the point where why even understand these? They're all over the place. One tells us that unemployment's going up. The other one tells us that we're not getting the jobless claims. I don't know, man. Uh, at least for the jobless claims, it's almost had to me like there's no edge on there. But what do you think here, Dennis? Um, market is just in the sell-off mode here right now. So it's funny. We can be glass half full or glass half empty. Last week, this market was glass half full. Today, this market is glass half empty. So it all kind of depends on these numbers report on what kind of market environment you're in. They were a rah-rah buying last week of August. Now they're rah-rah selling first week of September. So, um, we sit here, and again, why I say these numbers can be interpreted either way, because if you see the slowdown, then they're like, oh, well, that's good, because the Fed will start lowering rates. And, you know, if they see a rise, well, that's good, because now we can get the soft landing. That's the bull bull <laughs> camp. But then you can look at it the other way and say, oh, no, you know, we're not going to get a soft landing. And, oh, no, the Fed's not going to start lowering rates. I and laugh, because... I mean, so you just keep going back and forth here. And the Fed is pretty much done. Let's call it out here. The Fed is not lowering rates anytime soon unless we go into a serious recession. But the Fed's hiking cycle is pretty much over. We might have another quarter. It's pretty much at the peak rates here right now. We're not going to 8 9 10%. The economy would just cease to exist at a certain point in time. Like, it can't handle it. Everyone has too much debt. People will say, oh, we had it back in the 90s. Look at the rates in the 80s. Yeah, well, people didn't have 
the kind of debt that they do today. So there's just a lot more debt today than there was 30 or 40 years ago. People used to have to put 25% down to buy a house. Now they basically don't have to put anything. So, I mean, the world is just a lot different place. We've, I'm in, it's incredible that the economy has been resilient as it has with the rate increases that we've, con, where, that we've just went under. So it's impressive. The Fed is pretty much at the end of the cycle. Does that mean we come in and buy stocks? No, because we just don't know the repercussions here yet. And I don't think the Fed starts lowering rates until they start seeing the economy fall off a cliff. So if the economy falls off a cliff, stocks are going to go down. So could still be some trouble ahead. I'm sitting in the cautious camp, meaning I'm not fully bearish, not fully bullish. I'm just kind of sitting here and watching it you know, go down. And I'm half, I'm half cash on my long-term portfolio, just in case it starts to get ugly. TLT not looking the best, it's starting to fade off after this morning was looking like it was starting to climb back. Now back towards 93.64, um, and I definitely see these levels underneath around 93.50s as support. If that goes, watch out, team. Uh, TLT could be coming down a little bit further. Uh, GameStop. GameStop's Q2 EPS coming in at a loss of three cents beats the loss of 14 cent estimate. Sales of 1.16 billion beat the 1.14 billion estimate. GameStop cash and cash equivalents and marketable securities were at 1.195 billion at the close of the quarter. GameStop will not be holding the conference call, though, to discuss the second quarter financial results as the company chose not to have a conference call after the first quarter financial results. Now, just on a separate topic, and maybe we can just talk a little bit about this, they will be releasing a movie that might bring GameStop back into the limelight, a movie called Dumb Money. It's going to be released on September 22nd. The movie is from Sony, and it's all on, of course, GameStop stock versus the hedge funds, short sellers. It's going to hit theaters on September 22nd. Ah, GameStop, the stock you can't talk about because if you say something bad about it, everybody hates you. It's the same as AMC. I say something bad about it, everybody hates me. So (laughs) I don't say anything bad about these stocks for those reasons, but you know I'm not buying them anytime soon. Let's go to Dave Lauer, though, who, um, you know, he's getting to some market structure talk here because AMC is a good segue in there. He has a lot of uh, ape friends there, Dave Lauer, and uh, he's pretty good at market structure here. I think we should go bring him on. Hey guys. Hey, how we doing, Dave? Good. How are you? You ready to talk a little bit? First, let's t- let's talk about this lovely movie coming out. Dumb Money. <laughs> what do you think about the title here? Sony going on a limb calling them Dumb Money. What do you think about that, Dave? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know what to think about it. I have I have not seen <laughs> anything about the movie. Um, I don't know. It's it seems like there's so many movies about this stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm not I'm not optimistic they're gonna do this one justice. Like I think there I think there are some pretty good stories to tell about the last couple of years and how retail came into markets, found stuff, you know, that it it didn't like, found some of the shadiness and and mark, you know, manipulative activities and said, you know, this isn't cool. And and I think that's a good story, but you know, I don't I don't trust Hollywood to not sort of overly dramatize it and, you know, get a lot of facts wrong. <laughs> Well, let's yeah. get to what the facts really are here, Dave. And you've been working, obviously, in market structure for, it's got to be going to 15 years here now. So 
you've you you've and I've learned a lot from you over the years. I've known you from back in like 2009, 2010, I think is when we first started talking together yeah. here. And it's been like a, a funny market because back in 2009, 2010, nobody cared about market structure. Yeah. We would talk this stuff on the show and you know, you can just feel everybody's eyes glaze over when you start talking about the market's plumbing. I mean, it's so important, even as a trader, I think, to understand this stuff. But, you know, it's different because this retail environment kind of started to like this stuff um, and the stuff that you were talking about, you know, and obviously, you know, the AMC and the Ape stuff and all that. But they kind of, you know, like hearing about this stuff now. So tell us, you know, one, one talk about this evolution of, you know, maybe the retail investor where they didn't care about the market's plumbing. And they all of a sudden seem to care about the market's plumbing. And then maybe we can talk about some of the holes that need to get fixed. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's been funny, right? It's, so you're talking about GameStop just now and, and uh, you know, how you don't want to say anything. There, it, there, there are two sides to the coin, right? Because there are a lot of people out there um, that found market structure through GameStop and through, you know, some of these other stocks and, uh, and what they found they didn't like. And, you know, stuff that we had been talking about for many years, uh, it never made it past, you know, it, it never bubbled up, right? And Flash Boys was a really interesting time, um, you know, in 2014 when Flash Boys came out and, and there was like this brief amount of popular attention on market structure and then it went away again. And, yeah. and it seems to me that that was because it was very focused on the institutional side and the institutional issues. And now retail who has come into the market, you know, looking for, right, buying into the story that, that this is where you get a better life. This is how you save for, you know, and, and build wealth. And seeing a lot of wealthy people do that, wanting the same thing, wanting to invest in the companies they love and finding them, you know, in many cases, I think, manipulated in certain ways. Um, and, you know, they, they didn't like that. So they wanted to learn why. And then they saw, you know, when you start explaining markets and market structure and these crazy conflicts of interest and the, you know all of the insidious stuff everywhere uh it, it it's not that hard for people to understand right conflicts of interest are not hard for people to understand even if market structure is relatively complex um and how wall street might be ripping them off is not that hard to understand uh, even if the exact mechanisms are are somewhat complex Let's dive into some of these conflicts of interest here. Just maybe somebody tuning in for the show, seeing you for the first time, and you've been a market structure expert here, like I said, for the better part of 15 years. Talk about the conflicts of interest that one, first concern you, and then two, how do we go and fix this? Yeah, I, I think the, the best way I've come up, I think, to, to, to sort of summarize it is free trading is not free, right? You think it's free, you, you press a button, and you don't pay anything you think. Uh, whereas in the past, maybe you paid five or six dollars, fifteen dollars. I don't know, depending how far back you go, fifty bucks, right? But you know, back there used to be commissions, and now there aren't commissions. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's free. And and for anyone to think that something on Wall Street is free, uh, you should have your head checked, right? You you know nothing on Wall Street is free. You know no one's giving you anything. Um, and so you have to start to ask, well, wait a second, if I'm not paying something explicitly and and when you pay something explicitly there's actually a benefit to it because people can brokers can compete over it right they can compete over commissions for example now and i'm not saying commissions should be brought back but um you know that that by taking something a cost that's explicit and making it implicit which is poor execution quality you know that's where you're paying right and so the the conflict of interest at the heart of retail 
is that all of these orders from retail brokers go to a couple of firms. They don't go to the stock exchange and they don't get competed over by everyone in the market, market makers, you know, proprietary traders, institutional asset managers and such. They just go to like three firms. And that's a big problem because that means that those firms don't necessarily have to compete in the same way that they would have to compete if they were competing on a level playing field with hundreds of other firms. And so that results in inferior prices for retail. But it really, what it really results in is it results in spreads in the market are much wider than they otherwise would be. So every time you see that spread in the market, and maybe you know, maybe it's two cents, three cents, uh, on average, it's thirty percent wider than it would be otherwise if all of those orders were going to, to the stock exchange. And to me, that's a big problem because markets are supposed to focus on price discovery, right? Getting those tight spreads, make you know, reducing the cost to trade and capital formation, which is you know even another part of it where when when firms don't trust the markets, uh, they're less likely to go public. Um, and so you know, I think that there are a lot of efforts right now, both with what we're doing um, in terms of our advocacy efforts, but also with what the SEC is doing to to try and fix some of these problems in the market. Let's just play devil's advocate here for a second, because I am on your side, clearly been on your side for a long time here. But the argument from these three firms and from, you know, exchanges is that, and, and, and obviously a lot of people on Wall Street is that spreads are tight. Spreads, if we go from the data and we look at it, are tighter than they were 15 to 20 years ago. So we're getting free trading in. We have tight spreads. What's the real problem here? Yeah, so I think that um, when you really look into it, uh, first of all, just because spreads are tight, that doesn't really mean anything, right? That they could be much tighter. 30% is a big number. Think about the trillions of dollars of volume that's being done in the market. That's a really big number when you think that the transaction cost that that volume is paying could be 30% lower. Um, and so, you know, my, my point is we should not strive for markets that are good enough. We should not accept execution quality that is good enough. The, the standard in markets is best execution. And, you know, from, from an American perspective and, you know, internationally, other markets as well, you should strive to have the absolute best markets that you can have. And so, um, you know, just because it looks better than it looked, <laughs> you know, back when you had a bunch of people shouting on, at each other on the floor and yeah. things were priced in sixteenths instead of pennies, you know, that's that's not the right bar. The right bar is technology should be revolutionizing markets, and it hasn't. It's it's there's been a lot of incrementalism because the rent seekers know that they can make things just a little better, just better enough for you to be happy and not really question how are they buying these massive homes and, and you know, giving each other massive bonuses and making so much money year after year um, when markets are supposed to be so much more competitive and so much more efficient. So you know, I, I think that when you really tease apart market quality, you, you find a lot of problems. You find, for example, um, in, in stocks where, that are highly concentrated off exchange, uh, you not only find less uh, le less size on the displayed quote. So even the even if the spread is tighter, it's a it's a lot thinner, it's a lot weaker, it's a lot more fragile. So as soon as it gets hit, it moves. Um, yeah. And you also find higher extreme price movements. In fact, the, there's one study that showed that um, the the more concentrated the off exchange retail space is in a stock, the higher the extreme price movements are. 
by 50 basis points. Right? So these are, these are not small numbers. These are big numbers that really add up. Um, and so, you know, the, the very activity of diverting all of this flow off exchange is weakening markets, increasing volatility, uh, you know, and, and increasing costs to everybody uh, just to enrich a small set of firms. And of course, the practice was popularized by Bernie Madoff. Um, and so, you know, again, maybe we should be questioning anything that he did and rolling anything that he did back. Well, let's talk payment for order flow, because that's yeah. what, uh, what you're alluding to here with Bernie Madoff. And payment for order flow has existed in this market for a long time. Different types, obviously, you know, exchanges pay to have limit orders because, you know, you got the maker taker where they're obviously there. And then you have, you know, your internalizers that are paying for that retail flow and they're paying. And that's how, you know, Robinhood exists because certain yeah. firms pay for their orders. They will actually pay to trade against your orders. And what it is, it's really first dibs. I want first dibs to trade against Joe Investor here because I don't think he knows what he's doing. So that that's dumb right. money title right back to that. Is like, wow, I want first dibs to pay against that dumb money. Don't let that order go into the in the public markets to have free and fair competition. Just give it to me and I'll be sure I'll give them a good price. Yeah. But are we really yeah. sure it's a good price? Exactly. How do we fix this though? Like I I, I mean, and, and and again, you know, this is something that you know me and you have talked about for 12 or 13 years. <laughs> how how to fix the issue? Is it just banned payment for order flow? Because you know, maybe these orders still go to these firms, or is there something more that we have to do more? Than just look at you know just payment for order flow. Yeah, so I I think there's a there are a couple of things you need to do. It's really hard when you get into market structure to sort of solve one problem. Um, you know there there are a lot of things that have added up over time. We haven't really had an overhaul of our market structure since 2005 when Reg NMS was passed. Um, so we're talking 18 years now that we haven't really revisited sort of the fundamentals of markets, and a lot has changed. In that time. So what the SEC has proposed is a, a, a set of four equity market structure proposals. Um, the first one is to give more transparency and visibility into execution quality. So an expanded and updated rule 605. That's a great thing. No one's really arguing with that. Uh, the second thing they said is let's update reg NMS and let's revisit tick sizes. Uh, and so for tick constrained names, names that are always trading in a penny spread, maybe they should be able to trade at a half penny spread. Now the SEC has said, you know, even tighter. A lot of people don't think you should go much tighter than a half penny. Um, but, you know, there are highly liquid names that could be trading tighter. Uh, on the other end, this is not in the SEC proposal, but there are names that uh, trade at wide spreads. And maybe we should consider widening the increments uh, mm -hmm. for those in order to in encourage more displayed liquidity. The tick size pilot, which the SEC ran many years ago, was sort of derided as being a failure. But the problem with the tick size pilot was they widened spreads for every stock. They didn't look at whether those stocks were tick constrained or not tick constrained. And that's a really important consideration. And, and when you tease it apart, you actually find that there were some really good results in the tick size pilot um, when you split it up like that. So I think that's sort of that's sort of step one is tick size and more transparency. The next is what you're talking about, which are uh, rebates, access fees, which are the fees that exchanges charge. There's a regulatory price control in markets that says you can only charge up to 30 mils per share for orders that take liquidity. That's called the access fee cap. Um, and that's 30 cents per hundred shares. And so you know, what I have said and what, what many people believe is why don't we get rid of rebates and payment for order flow, say that those things are not 
conducive to best execution. They don't fit within a best execution standard. Let's get rid of them. And then you get rid of the access fee cap and you let fees get competed down to a very small level on exchange. Um, and the SEC has proposed to reduce the access fee cap from 30 mils to 10 mils, but a lot of us are pushing them to say to do more than that. Um, and then there are two more controversial rules the SEC has recently proposed, the order competition rule and a best and regulation best execution. Um, in the regulation best execution, they're saying the SEC should have purview over best execution rather than FINRA. And to get to your question, Dennis, about what do we do about payment for order flow and rebates, they've sort of defined the standard in the new best execution rule. It's I call it like super best X, which is it, they define a conflicted transaction, which is a transaction of brokers routing where they're receiving a payment of some sort rather than you know when they route strictly for execution quality. And the SEC has proposed a sort of higher standard for conflicted transactions, which I guess is one way to approach it, but I don't really see the benefit. And, and when we wrote a comment letter in, we said, why do all this? Let's just get rid of conflicted transactions, right? Why have them at all? Why try and like bend over backwards to get rid of payment for order flow and exchange rebates? I think that's the best answer, but you're right. That might not solve the problem, uh, because of how warped everything is in markets and market structure. So uh, I think the last piece of it is a trade-at rule. Um, and a trade-at rule, which you know exists in other markets like Canada, says that you cannot execute off exchange unless you get material price improvement, which is at least a full tick um, or a half tick as the, if the spread is a tick wide. Um, and the SEC sort of proposed something like that called the order competition rule. Uh, the only thing they put into the order competition rule that's a little different is they they said, um, you know, you can send to these on exchange auction facilities. And those are a little weird. It, it's very prescriptive the way the SEC defined them. It's very specific. And so, again, the, the point we're making to the SEC that we made in our comment letters that we've been making very you know publicly, very loudly, as loudly as we can, is let's just do away with that. Let's just do a trade out rule. It's very simple. It's very easy. It's been tried in the U.S. We tried it in the tick size pilot. The results were great. It's supported by a lot of firms in the U.S., exchanges, brokers, asset managers. Almost everyone supports a trade-out rule. Um, and so it, it wouldn't have the, the problems that come along with this new order competition rule proposal. So, you know, I think there are, I think there's light right now at the end of the tunnel over the next, let's call it six to nine months in terms of the SEC really coming in and, and changing markets in a fundamental way. And, and in, in many of the ways that we've been talking about now for, for an awfully long time. And, and uh, just to sum up, like, so the SEC has proposed some new stuff here. They've had the comment period, which is now closed. Yeah. When do you actually see some of this stuff implemented? Is it going to be like, is it the six to nine months from now? Do we see it in the new year? Are we going to see any material changes here? Because the comments were mixed on certain stuff, like the tick sizes. Um, some some were in favor, some were not. I mean, are we going to see, you think, some material changes here? That, you know, the way our orders are executed is going to be fundamentally different in 2024 than it is in 2023? I, I think we're going to start, I think we're going to see 605 this year. Um, I hope we're going to see these reg NMS changes, the tick size and access fee cap changes this year. Right? That's probably more uncertain, um, but if not this year, probably early next year. Um, the, the next two, best X and the order competition rule or potentially a trade at rule, I think are tougher. Um, but I believe you're probably going to see them before the election because, um, you know, this is very much these, these initiatives are very much being driven by 
Sherry Gensler at the SEC. Um, I, I think he very much sees the, these as his sort of legacy on the stock market. Um, and I think he's going to pretty pr push him pretty hard because, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty coming into this election. And, you know, I think he wants to get it done before that. And it's funny with Gensler because, you know, he, there's a lot of hate out there for him. There's a lot of support in, in other places for him. Um, and, and you see two completely different characterizations of him, depending on who you talk to. Either he's done too much and, and is going crazy uh, with regulation, or he's hardly done anything and needs to act, um, you know, depending on who you're talking to. So it's, it's kind of funny to, to see the different, the different perspectives on the SEC right now. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Dave. Let us know where, where can we find you? Where can we find out more about these changes and the advocacy that you're trying to do? Let us know where we can find you. Um, because a lot of people probably interested in knowing more. Yeah. So, you know, my, the URL urban.finance right there, that's, um, you know, our, our company um, and we lead our, the advocacy efforts through there. You can also go to wetheinvestors.org. That's our grassroots advocacy campaign. Um, and you can join up there, uh, put your email address in. We'll keep you updated on what's going on. We'll tell you when there are opportunities to act um, and we'll help teach you about these issues. You know, our, our goal is not to speak for anyone. Our goal is to educate people and empower them so that they can be involved in these debates. They can file their own comment letters. They can understand the issues. And that's really what we're focused on. Definitely check it out, guys. I'll give you guys some of that information there. I'll throw it up in the chat. It's always good to have you, Dave. And it's always good conversation to hear Dennis and Dave together. Some masters going at it. Appreciate you guys. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Dave. All right. That was a great conversation for sure. I know I get to a certain point, even in that conversation, that even I'm like, let's just let the masters speak. You guys have been ah. at it for some time. Um, and, and I appreciate it. Just being as a retail trader, I think all you guys appreciate this conversation because really this doesn't get talked about often, right? Uh, this gets a lot of the times put underneath the rug. So I appreciate you guys bringing up the conversation and definitely look for Dave to keep pushing for those investors out there. Let's get back to the markets. How are we looking? I saw still leaking there. How are we looking? We are leaking not even a little bit. We are leaking hard here, Money Mitch. Yeah, and man. it's ugly. Bottom line it's is it's an ugly day for the markets being led by a tech wreck. And we can officially call this a tech wreck here because you got stocks down significantly. Apple's down 7 bucks here now, down 3.7%. Tesla's down 3.26%. NVIDIA, we talked about the 450 level. It looks like it's going to get challenged today. It's 457 down 2.82%, but it's tech across the board. You do have pockets of strength, utilities and staples, both green here today. The reason for that is safety trade. You know, people are like, oh my gosh, my tech stock's going down. Kramer told me Microsoft's never going down again or Apple's never going to go down again. That's down seven bucks. I need you to sell that and move me over into consumer staples here. Give me some Coca-Cola because I need safety. Let's see how long that works, right? Because even those trades were, weren't doing the best, right? I mean, we'll see if maybe we turn around because Coke was down like, you know what, now what, four or five days in a row. Maybe we get a little bounce back there. A little bounce back. But you know what's safer than Coke? Cash. Cash. Cash is safer than Coke. <laughs> but again, now, okay, so let's give a perspective here. We yeah. just sold off pretty significantly here on Apple. I mean, now you're coming in bearish. I mean, now you're coming in. We started this show yesterday morning saying, I don't like Apple at 188. Well, it starts to look a little bit better at 176. I'm not saying I'm putting in the long-term portfolio, but as a trade, if you're coming in here and selling with just 12 bucks in 24 hours, I mean, that's a 7% move down in 24 hours. It's probably going to bounce in here somewhere. So put your day trading cap here on here. 
I mean, just as much as we were overbought three days ago, we just went oversold on a lot of stocks here. So just be cautious, I think, just getting your full bearishness in and say, I'm going to short stocks today. You should have been shorting stocks yesterday morning. Now yeah. is the time to probably ring the register as much as like Roku. Remember Roku yesterday popping up? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's got good news. And we, we said yesterday was this is your ring the register opportunity. That couldn't yeah. have been proven more true by the market yesterday. $95 yesterday. It's $84 here today. Now, I'm not coming in and saying load up your long term portfolio. It's all about, you know, who, you know, your long, your horizon and, and obviously, you know, what you think you know like you want your cash and your stock i'm sitting half cash half stock in the long-term portfolio kind of maybe bringing in so if you are short this market right now probably looking to cover some stuff here maybe into a little bit of this weakness because i don't think we're going straight down i don't think we're going straight up i think we're going to be choppy that's what i said yesterday morning this is the chop down this is the wave down so I think you start thinking about some support levels. NVIDIA 450 is huge support. Do I take a shot there? I might. Gets there. It's the first time off of it from, you know, four or five days ago. So, you know, does it breach it? It could. But you can put any trade on as long as you know where your out is. I'd say below that 448.88 low, you got to be cautious on NVIDIA. But, you know, it's one that I'm looking at for support. So from my, with my day trading cap here on, I'd be looking to bring in shorts into today's action. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that now if you're going after it, you're going to feel like a little bit like you're chasing a little bit. And that's how a lot of times when we get these gap downs, it seems like uh, we could get a little bit of run at the gates. I'll be looking for the opposite of just straight chasing, maybe looking for green to red moves. We'll see if that happens. Uh, a lot of times we get a little bit of a bounce. Uh, an area definitely to keep watch. And I still am pointing towards it because it just doesn't stop going down. Look at the banks. I, I mean, I don't think anybody's really focusing on this. Maybe I'm just the first and the only one that's looking at it, but I don't know why. This seems to me like a, a little bit bigger than just a pullback, right? Um, look at the XLF. Uh, look at the KRE continuing to go lower. We talked about this on mon on Tuesday and Monday. Look look how it's been going. It's down about you know five percent and going back into this space here. This long term trend line. Head and we shoulders. talked about this head and shoulders yesterday. That it yesterday's action didn't good. do anything to ease our concerns here. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I don't think it's over. I don't think I don't think it's over either. Over. I think you're going to get more weakness in some of these regionals. I would not touch any regional banks. Just the risk reward just doesn't set up well. We watched some of them go to zero, four of them. I just think it's not over yet. So the banks, I'm going to keep saying, have been a terrible long-term investment here since the financial crisis. JP Morgan accepted. It's obviously been very good, but we know Citigroup has gone nowhere in 15 years. Some of these other banks have really underperformed the market. I mean, we've had an incredible 15-year run in this market, and the banks have hardly participated. So do they start? Is this the catch-up? Is this the difference? Sometimes on a day like this, you know, they're looking for something alternative to tech that maybe the banks can get a slight bounce here. But I'm just not a fan of the banks either. And I, I'm not trying to just go full bearish and say, sell everything. The end of the world is coming here. It's not yeah. that. It's just that. We're extended on a lot of stuff in the banks, but I, I I just think risk reward for the banks just never sets up well. 
Yeah, it doesn't set up well at all. And uh, I, I mean, it's clear that we, we could have some more trouble in, in tech, right? I, I think just continuing to watch the leader is going to be what I'll be watching. Microsoft also started to come back and I was wondering, okay, will it show me strength? Will it start making its way back to 350, 360s? And then yesterday it just turns right back down. So we could be in some sideways action there for Microsoft. That's one of the stocks that I wanted to see if maybe it'd lead the rally back, but Nah, short-lived, short-lived little push back up. So we'll see what happens with these stocks. Let's wrap it up here, Dennis. It's a 9 a.m. Uh, it's going to be a tough day for sure. I got out of my oil trade just because I don't know what's going to happen with this Chevron. Uh, so took all profits off yesterday at 166. We'll see if oil can continue to run. This is definitely something that I'm watching because, of course, it, it's going to affect inflation also. But XLE is already at the top, right? Maybe we already had that run. That's what Dennis was talking about yesterday. And I can't blame him on that outlook as we're getting near towards the top here for the XLE. All right, let's wrap um, it up. Guys. I, I'm just cautious. So, and, and again, oil's had a big run here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're I feel like we're chasing if we're buying oil stocks right now. They yeah, were yeah. good buys two months mm -hmm. ago. This is still a market, a trading environment where you ring the register, your stocks are moving up 10, 12 percent. It's time to ring the register. You're not going to get these 50, 100 percent movers, I don't think, in the second half. So that's where uh, I'm another at. thing. Another thing to look out for is maybe growth stocks reversal, um, because uh, as we get this market to come down, those stocks are the ones that I'm going to be a little bit concerned about coming down a little bit more wicked than others. Um, are you concerned about growth stocks here, Dennis, as we keep coming down? Like, uh, let's yeah, say like I mean, ARKK names, like these big, like high flyers, yeah, Carvana, yeah, up, oh, yeah. Upstart. Yeah, um, I'm always concerned about those names. I just think a lot of those names were overdone. I mean, we had obviously Carvana's, you know, the part of a short squeeze. That continues to hold up Wow, Does it squeeze them more? It might. These are all pockets of different stories in the market as well. Yeah. I just think... I'm just trying to keep taking this overall well, look view. At this we had a firm. really good first half. And I think we're chopping around in the second half. So I don't think we're tanking. I don't think we're going up another 25%. I think we're chopping around. So this is the chop down. So as much as I was probably, you know, selling stocks, you know, and, and looking to sell stocks yesterday morning, we just sold off significantly here. So I'm actually looking to buy stuff here today as trades. You know, I talked about NVIDIA, 450. I think it's a huge level. You know, should we go look at Tesla because it's starting to come off? Eh, Tesla doesn't really have much of a level in here though. 244, yeah. 242. Yeah, maybe. But you know, but would I touch GM or Ford? No, because they got their own individual problems with the strike yeah. looming, the you know, strike. price, you know, and I, I, there, there's certain pockets where I'd probably stay away from too. You know, it looks like a short to me is Stellantis, but that's just because I've been seeing this kind of head and shoulders pattern here. You guys can see it on the daily. If it goes into a strike. I agree. Could it be back down to 14, 16? Yeah, I agree. I'm with you. I don't like that shirt either. It has a lot of resistance at 20. And so that's that's one of the charts that I'm just looking at. Of course, you know, if they get a good news from the sh strike issues and the UAW, well, maybe that could be a, a positive. But this looks to me like a head and shoulders there on the dailies. Just something I'm looking at. I never trade Stellantis, but hey, you guys see it's a lot of gaps on that chart. So be careful also. All right, that's going to do it for us. Like always, you guys can check us out on Twitter. You guys got Triple D Trader, Money Mitch BZ. We're going to wrap it up. Dennis, go do what you do best. And the chat, we did not ban Joel. You see the chat trying to get us to talk about Joel. <laughs> He's banned. We got rid of him. We He'll be back him. soon. We banned him. When's he we coming back? Get out of here. Big, when's he coming back? 
I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say. I don't know if I'm at I liberty don't to like say. Anybody knowing his business. Joel's a very private guy. I, like I might get cut myself if I say it. Yeah, okay. We better not say anything. Well, Joel's just a, what to say Joel's a private guy doesn't like people know his business. Just put it this way. Joel will be back. And that's for he will certain. be back. He, we didn't ban Joel from the show. It was a temporary ban. He's coming back. Yeah, yeah. We gave him strike strike two. Do, he's yeah. not on, he still has he's another strike. strike to go. He's on strike right now. Joel's on strike, but he's coming back. Yeah, the, the, right. the labor companies are calling. They're trying Enough. to get more money. He's gonna get. I'll mad let at you us. out of here, Dennis. Have a good one, man. I'm sure we'll hear about this on Monday. I are gonna try for this too. <laughs> We have a good time here on pre-market prep. Like always, smash the like, guys. We've enjoyed this. It's always been a good time with you guys. And let's get ready for the market. Like always, be careful out there. Stay nimble. The markets don't go one way, right? We saw that quick turnaround yesterday. Now to bring you guys over to live trading. That's coming up next. Don't go anywhere, team. Like always, Benzinga has it all for you right here. You don't even got to go anywhere. This will redirect you right to the action. So stick around.